Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. In which language is he going to speak? <laughs> you never know what's coming. So, uh, <clears throat> the Buddha to be, Gautama, in his um, in his youth had a very strong um, or impactful uh, encounter with um, with suffering and uh, and he said that uh, when there is this encounter with suffering uh, it either uh, leads towards uh, bewilderment or question the question that he had was, uh, for himself was, uh, there must be a way out of this. What could be a way, I think the exact word is something like, what could be a way or two out of this? I'll put the word mess <laughs> there. And, um, and so um, and there might be something similar to this in your story, you know some kind of encounter with uh, uh, suffering, stress, or the kind where um, maybe there is, um, we talked today about uh, physical discomfort, you know, pain, or dis-ease, or, or the loss of something very dear, or somebody very dear, or some, some, something like this. So, an encounter with uh, suffering like that, or it might be more uh, of an existential suffering, like why, why even bother, or what is that all, all this, this whole thing for? What's the meaning of this? You know, why would you put energy into this life? Or, Anyway, and it might not resonate for you. It might be uh, your path, might the, the door in the practice might be different, but that's certainly a very common door. The unsatisfaction, the stress, the wanting to find a, a way out. And... Uh, so the Buddha did, apparently, find a way out of, uh, of, um, of stress and uh, dissatisfaction and confusion and ignorance. And then he uh, shared a lot for several decades with people about how he did that, how he got out of trouble. And he, uh, he de devised this whole kind of map or plan or path that he talked about a lot, 
about how to how to bring uh, peace to mind and heart, how to open the mind and heart and keep it uh, balanced. That's the way I understand this. And um, not so long ago, I, uh, I was reading a, um, Tan Jeff, Tanisaro Biku, an author. And the way I remember it, anyway, you're saying uh, if you had the chance to meet a Buddha, a very wise being, uh, what question would you want to ask this person? And uh, and the way I thought about this was just like let's say you had like that amazing chance, but only like ten minutes or so. <laughs> you know, like it's true that the question would be very important. You know, like uh, it would the question would become very essential. And Tan Jeff in the, the book that I was reading was saying actually the question to ask him uh, or ask this being. Uh, he said, I can, I can tell you what is the, the most, uh, uh, the best question to ask uh, a Buddha if you do encounter one on your travels. Uh, he said, the question that kind of um, over, is overarching uh, the whole teaching is, if you had the chance, you could ask, what is skillful and what is unskillful? And he's saying, Tanjev, that this question really uh, talks about the whole of the path. You know? And I like that question a lot. What is, what is skillful, what is unskillful in terms of, uh, what is skillful in terms of uh, finding the end of suffering, the end of and put your word there that works for you, you know, the end of trouble, the end of confusion, the end of uh, um, stress. Uh, so what, what is skillful? What is the thing to do? Because the Buddha said he was only interested in teaching one thing, which sometimes turn, turns out that he says, two things and something four things <laughs> but it's always in the same area you know is only interested in the end of suffering if you put it in two ways it's you would say i'm interested only in teaching suffering and the end of suffering and right there it's interesting because let me teach suffering like to recognize how we suffer you know to take time it's basically what we do here a lot uh, there's a lot of cultivation of beautiful qualities, but there's also a lot of discovering how suffering arises in the mind. You know, we're, uh, we made this laboratory kind of set, set up. You know, let's go in silence, not too much stimulation, sit <coughs> and just see how trouble arises in the mind. And so the way to divide it in four, this this thing about the end of suffering is what you know, what is uh, suffering? What is the cause of it? Is there an end possible, and w what is the path to the end? So that's what we're doing here. And so this question of what is skillful and what is unskillful, uh, 
I, I like it because there's, there's many layers to it. And I'll try to name a few this afternoon, maybe. So there's the first layer of... Um, uh, and again, this is Tanjev uh, mentioning this. He's saying it's a little bit like the... Okay, you, you want the end of suffering? Let me, if you're interested, give you the kind of survival toolkit. The really basic... Uh, toolkit if you're interested in happiness, if you want to put it in a positive way. Yeah. And so there are these... Um, then uh, the teaching is on ethics that we talk, uh, I talked about last evening. And so the ways to um, behave in the world uh, so that we don't cause uh, suffering for ourselves and others with our actions and words. And just there, the, the Buddha would teach on that level and say, okay, you're interested in the end of suffering? See how you use your speech and, uh, and how you take things, maybe, or how you hurt people. And try to clean that aspect and see how good you'll feel, how your community, the, the group happiness will be, how the interrelational relational happiness will be, and how it'll have an impact on uh, the reduction reduction of stress inside of you yeah so just on that level and we could just leave it to this but this is also this um, ethics is also on, on the spiritual it's the it's the way also uh, to gain a, a deep deep sense of freedom that is not just Society, only this would be beautiful on this planet, you know, or interrelational, or... Uh, but um, I'll show you here how just that aspect... Uh, you might have heard this. This is a sutra. Should I read it? Or yeah, it could be interesting. Um, this is an exchange between uh, the Buddha and Ananda, his, uh, his uh, cousin and... Uh, mm, um, assistant, somebody who stayed with him for a few decades, and they had a really beautiful friendship, they took care of each other. Uh, and so there's an exchange here that, that uh, talks really about what we're doing here. Um, so I've heard that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying near Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's monastery. Then Venerable Ananda went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat on one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, What is the purpose of skillful virtues? What is their reward? Skillful virtues have freedom from remorse as their purpose, Ananda, and freedom from remorse as their reward. This is the Buddha saying, skillful ways to act and be brings freedom from remorse or the bliss of shamelessness the bliss of uh, the bliss of uh, what is it again blamelessness, blamelessness sorry shamelessness seemed like not quite <laughs> the bliss of blamelessness that's an expression that is used so but that's only the beginning uh, Freedom, uh, and what is the purpose of freedom from remorse? What is the reward? You see how an investigative mind like Ananda has? Like he 
he brings it further. Said, okay, so the bliss of blamelessness, but why would you just even want that? I could stop there and say, oh, the bliss of blamelessness, that's plenty. But he said, why would you want that? And the Buddha says, um, freedom from remorse has joy as its purpose, joy as its reward. Reward. And what is the purpose of joy? What is its reward? Joy has rapture as its purpose, rapture as its reward. And what is the purpose of rapture? What is the reward? Rapture has serenity as its uh, purpose, serenity as a reward. And what is the purpose of serenity? The purpose of serenity is pleasure. And what is the purpose of pleasure? The purpose of pleasure is concentration. And what is the purpose of concentration? Uh, concentration as knowledge and vision of things as they actually are, as its purpose and reward. Knowledge and vision of things as they actually are. And then Ananda says, but what is the purpose of knowledge and vision of things as they actually are? And the Buddha says, knowledge and vision of things as they actually are, are as disenchantment as its uh, purpose and reward. So, uh, maybe I'm going to slow down here just to make sure that we're, you're on the same page with me. This is what we're doing here. So first there's the, if the mind has not so much remorse, then it can get uh, calm, then it gets joyful, can get joyful, it can get calm. When it gets calm, then it can see things more clearly, this concentration comes in and and things as they really are, are seen. This is what we're doing here this weekend. We're calming the mind so that we can see things as they are. And when we see things as they are, then there's a veil that is removed. A veil of wrongly understanding what is what. Maybe I'll get more into this after. But um, And so when there's uh, the word that is used here is disenchantment. It sounds pretty negative, but... It's, uh, it's the spell. Like, as I'm sitting here, if I'm like, uh, you know, uh, any kind of thoughts that I might have about, like, oh, when I go back to my room, and maybe I should grab an orange tonight when I go to my room. And, 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 and. It's like I'm in kind of, an, in kind of a spell of me and my world and my, f you know. And it could be anything. Like, if I had said that, that person wouldn't have said that, and they would have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And, you know, I mean, we have all the ways to, to think about, about. So we're under the spell. And by becoming calm and concentrated, we can see things as they are. And things as they are, suddenly, is like, oh, thinking is happening. So we break the spell. There's disenchantment. I'm, I'm kind of enchanted by a fictional world, uh, some, some things like this. And then I become just realistic. There's the br uh, a breaking of the enchantment. And here it says, and so what's the purpose of this enchantment? This passion. This passion is the, 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 the clinging, how we hold to the story and go back to the story and are caught in the different ways that we think about what, what should have happened, how I should be. You know? So there's disenchantment and we don't cling to this. We get dispassionate about the complexification that happens in the mind, you know. 
And, uh, and then, that's the last one, I promise. What is the purpose of this passion? This passion, this passion has knowledge and vision of release as its purpose. So, non-clinging, not getting hooked in stories anymore. As, as a reward, there is freedom. That's what he says. He says, freedom. And at the end, he says, in this way, Ananda, skillful actions lead all the way to complete freedom. And I wanted to bring this, and I don't know if I'm doing this very well, but I wanted to bring this to say, this is the world we're entering as we're here. Because as we're here, and we took on the precepts, and, and so we created the field of safety in which we feel safe and in which we can actually relax. And as we relax, there's the possibility to calm the, calm the mind. And as the mind calms, it can get concentrated, unified. It can really start to see what's really happening. That I'm actually not back then when this happened. That it's, it's, it's just the production of thoughts that are happening. You know? And so I get disenchanted. And then I can uh, find uh, in there, here, release, the experience of release and ease of mind. So that's, uh, so that's the, the level of, uh, of just uh, acting in ways that are not harmful. Uh, there's a link there that can lead all the way to freedom. Um, maybe getting more specific about what's, what's, uh, how this disenchantment actually happened. is by, um, by being attentive, by uh, uh, calming the mind like this, we see the different patterns arise. Yeah. So we see, uh, and we get to see for ourselves what is skillful and what is unskillful. So now I talked about like the, the basic survival kit, you know, the ethics. And then, if we keep this question going of what is skillful and what is unskillful, then that, that's our attention will reveal this as we sit here. And you're already seeing this, I'm pretty sure. We're seeing, sitting here and we can see how uh, the different things that come to mind are s will be stressful or not. It becomes apparent. Just earlier, I was walking outside doing the walking meditation, and there was some calm and some ease and some connections. And then I thought about the talk, you know, and I said, Oh, I want to talk about this. And, and then, Oh, I'm so excited about this and this. And then suddenly I was all like this, and, and suddenly I just noticed. So, what? Oh, I'm like, it's all like in the head, like this. There's a, suddenly I was going towards agitation. I was going, My calm was leading, like the, the thoughts that were coming were leading to agitation. I was getting agitated about the Dharma, which, you know, is not about resentment or anything, <laughs> but still, you know, it was kind of agitated. I was all, and like, oh, can I actually come back here? And um, the experience of freedom that is at the end of this exchange here, release, is, uh, is, an, is, a, is an experience that's going to be um, uh, 
conscious is when you have an experience of uh, freedom it's it's not going to be half conscious or half that's just the way it is if you're going to experience freedom and ease of mind and well-being it's going to be a conscious experience so bringing consciousness from the beginning is not only the the kind of tool to reveal uh, the unskillful ways that our minds and hearts work in the skillful ways, but it's also the beginning of the expression of freedom, the being conscious, being awake. Yeah? And you can see this for yourself, maybe, when the mind is just a little off, or, or just halfway present, you know, just enough present to say like, yeah, I was meditating, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not really... Uh, it's not really there, it's just halfway there. I can f probably say that I was aware of the breath, but not completely, you know. And so, what we want to foster is more and more uh, presence of mind, a fuller presence of mind. Um, and so in that, the incessant planning is going to be revealed, maybe for some of us, or worry about the future, or melancholy about the past that was and is not anymore. And uh, when we see this with little attention, with superficial attention, it seems like it's the thing to do. Really, plan next week, or plan the summer, or plan what could happen if that person was to say this uh, Monday, or plan. It seems like it's really important, and it's the valuable thing to, to do. But the more I get calm, I can see that when this arises, it's unsettling. Same with being caught in the past. It seems if I'm halfway present, that is the thing to do, to rehash, go over what happened. But if I quiet down a little bit, at when this habit of mind comes back, I can see like, wow, this is not for my benefit. It becomes kind of... Um, the way I see it is it becomes intuitive. It's just, it's uh, because I have more sensitivity, it feels, it, I can feel the harshness of it. Um, another example of this is the inner voice. Come on, get back to the breath. What are you doing? Everybody's meditating and you're like losing your time. You know, if you're half awake, it seems like it's the best way to go about this, is to shout at oneself, you know, and get oneself back on track, you know. But if you become a little sensitive, suddenly it's going to really stand out like, wow, what's this voice? What's this violence inside, you know? And this is revealed. And so the unskillfulness of this becomes apparent. I might not even think in terms of unskillful, but I, might f I'm, but I will feel it, though. Wow, this is harsh. I mean, there's so many of these habits of mind, comparing mind. It seems like it's the thing to do, to see like, wow, they walk much more slowly than I walk. Or, you know, they seem to practice all the time. I'm there hiding in my room, you know, watching, at the <laughs> watching them through the window, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is, you know, like. And so this comparing seems like the thing to do. But if I calm down a little bit and become aware, suddenly this comparing doesn't it starts to appear that it's not so helpful to compare. It's not so helpful. 
So that's on one side. And these things, when we are uh, in the same way that the Buddha was, uh, I said at the beginning, was uh, at an encounter with suffering that was impactful. He was really touched by uh, suffering in a way that uh, started a quest for him. In the same way, if, if I get in a place where I can, you know, because of prior moments of mindfulness, because having put some effort uh, in the practice, I can suddenly catch how I judge myself in a moment. I can also be touched by the suffering, impacted by the suffering of a certain pattern of mine. mine. Um, I remember, that's a very tiny little example, but I was on retreat and I was in line for food and probably trying to be mindful or being mindful some of the time. Or, and uh, at some point, I, there's the, you know, all the um, forks and knives and spoons. And I just r go to um, get one of the spoons for my soup. And out of the, what I pick comes out, this big serving spoon. And, and suddenly there's a, f there was a feeling of like guilt, like you, you know, with, you want a huge spoon because you're, you know, but it was very, it was just like, and there was suddenly the, like, hide the spoon, you know, before somebody saw that I, I, but it was just a spoon placed at the wrong place, you know, it was supposed to be in the kitchen with the kitchen stuff and it was with the retreatant uh, utensils or whatever, however you call it, you know. And, but it was, suddenly I just saw like, wow, this is what this mind does. It will take any opportunity to feel inadequate or unworthy or to, you know, uh, project on itself uh, uh, greed or ugliness, basically. You know, you're an ugly person, you know, instead of just, and, and so right there, there was a seeing of a pattern like, wow, this is what this mind does. It will make itself guilty, you know of taking a spoon, a huge spoon, which was not intentional at all. And so, right there, there was, the, there was a possibility of freedom from something, like, wow, this is not for my benefit. This is not for the benefit of others, that this mind does that. It just becomes vivid, in a way. Before, I would not have noticed it. Even maybe right a few seconds before, in the line, the f in the food line, in the, the line with people there, maybe I was already feeling guilty of being one too many person on the planet, you know, or some, some kind of delusion of inadequacy or unworthiness or some, some, something like this that was very alive in this being. And, but because of the spoon and because of a prior moment of attention, suddenly it became revealed. And there was an Im it was an impactful encounter with suffering. There was a, a most, uh, I think there was some kind of fear that arose, like, wow, this is how this mind lives, with the kind of hidden, unconscious belief that it's not supposed to be there, this person, that it's, there's something wrong about this person, you know? And so this is the disenchantment there where suddenly I see through the veil of unworthiness, inadequacy, ugliness, ugly Pascal. You know, so I said, wow, this is just an appearance. It's just a delusion, an illusion, a wrong understanding, a wrong use of mind. 
No judgment. Don't, you know, don't hate yourself. You shouldn't hate yourself. No, because that's just another layer. Just like, wow, I'm happy. This is bad news, but it's also very good that it's seen. It's revealed. It's in the light of awareness. And then I won't be so fooled by it next time I pick a big spoon. <laughs> you know, or, or next time there's this kind of veil or spell of you don't belong on this planet, you should be crushed, you know, you should be removed, you know. And so I'm saying just this is just one pattern. It's one that you might know for some reason. I I that's one that I've soaked in a lot. And I know s I, I don't really even have to think about why it came to be like this. I have my ideas. There's probably several conditions that make it so, you know, original sin. <laughs> but being a gay man, gay, a young nine-year-old gay person, you know, feeling that there was something so wrong about this being, you know, and ugly and should not exist, you know, and that got really conditioned really well. But then as an adult, I have to, you know, uh, bring independence to this mind to clear up what's true and what's not, you know. So that's the seeing things as they really are, you know. And so the independence that one can gain is a lot through uh, attention, being attentive. That's how I understand the teaching of the Buddha. He said, let me teach a technique, just a way to actually see what's happening. So you don't have to believe anybody. You can see for yourself uh, what is beneficial, what is unbeneficial for you and for others, what is skillful, and that's the other way to put it, and what is unskillful. So what we do here, as we connect with uh, the breath, the sensations, the hearing outside, you'll see how sometimes this comes, if you're attentive, you'll see how it comes suddenly some heaviness of the heart, or some pattern, you know, that will make you go away from the object of meditation, and so. And the job then is to abandon it, but the seeing it again and again is one way that the abandoning happen. Often we can't abandon this, you know, the letting go is not something we do, but the being close to the suffering of something the resistance, the sitting here and thinking, I want to be somewhere else. Unlooked at, it really l seems like it's the way to be here. Think of the other thing where I would be happy doing something else, somewhere else, not in this madhouse of zombie walking. You know. <laughs> but if I become attentive, I might see at some point that it's miserable to want to be somewhere else or to resist a sensation in the knee don't want to feel this, don't want to feel this, or to resist uh, sadness maybe, grief, you know. It might become more apparent in the quiet that, oh, it's actually, the resisting is, is painful. I remember also sitting one time, having this pressure on the chest, and I didn't know if I had like heartburn. I started in the in Janet's kit, but at the other place it was not Janet's kit, but a similar kit. There was thumbs in there, and I was popping thumbs like crazy, like thinking, I want this 
pain to go. I went this pain to go. And at some point I was like, am I having heart disease? You know, like I'm only in my 20s. And there was this pressure and I didn't want to feel it. I wanted it to go away. And I was trying to sit in a way and practice in a way to make it go. And at some point it just became apparent that the actual amount of energy spent to not feel that was a lot of thinking around it, a lot of strategizing, whatever the word is, to actually not feel this. And at some point it was like, okay, let's feel this. And this pain was some kind of, I cannot even tell you, but it was definitely emotional. It was some kind of loneliness, some kind of, uh, maybe a, some kind of existential pain, the pain of being alive or something. But at some point I was just like, okay, do your thing, you're there anyway, like I've tried everything for a few days to get rid of you and not feel you. And do your thing, let me feel, let, let, let it be felt, let it be known, you know. And suddenly there was like, oh, just this, just unpleasant, just deeply sad, or I can't even tell you exactly, the words are not going to do it here, but there was the holding of this, the suddenly I was falling into a different pattern, not the pattern of resistance that was not for my benefit, not for the benefit of others, not skillful, but it was there, that was the pattern that was on, it had to be seen to be released, and suddenly, whoops! Something more skillful or beneficial was there, was care for what was happening. Oh, it's hard to have this heart. I, I, I remember even uh, at the moment where I said, okay, do your thing. Be there, press on me, kill me if you have to, you know. Suddenly there was this image that came that was very, uh, I thought I took a wrong turn because it became very um, very Christian <laughs> like uh, of course I was born and raised a Christian so there was I mean the images were in my mind but the image that I had was of a bleeding sacred heart you know like something like really torn open and bleeding I was like oh this is what it is you know can that be allowed and suddenly there was what but the freedom that is at the end of the line of that exchange with Ananda, you know, that the, the, the calm there, the, the concentration, the acceptance is not in the list, but it's definitely in the, needed in the experience, the acceptance was there, and suddenly there was just that, no need to fix anything, there was just the bleeding heart. That was fine, there was no need for fun and, you know, bliss and light, just that, with acceptance was plenty of reality, there was no need for something else, you know. So you see when I say there was no need for something else, there's not the hindrance of resistance there, or the hindrance of wanting s another reality than the reality that is there. So that's what's happening here. These things are being revealed, and in time, let go of. We cannot go the l do the letting go. There's one, uh, um, one, uh, one answer, one teaching from a Zen master that I really like, where apparently this, and I can't remember uh, his name or which one he was actually, but it's a modern one in, in North America, 
he would say uh, to his teacher, uh, uh, to his uh, students sometimes, who would describe their their difficulties, he would just say, more suffering needed. Like you have to soak in it a little bit more, just a little bit more with attention, with presence, so that actually something can be released. Because now the way maybe you're attentive is not complete or there's resistance to it, a little bit more soaking in it and oops, something, compassion will be born or an acceptance will be born. You know. I, I say that because it's been my experience a lot. That's, it seems to be one of the main ways that I do uh, release patterns by seeing how if the mind is upset, it's upset, it's upset, and sometimes for a long time about something, and I have to just be very humble and say, okay, the mind is really clinging to this thing that didn't happen like it wanted, or it still wants this thing that is not happening, you know, and it's like, and it's like having opinions and producing a lot of thoughts and rehashing and rehearsing and preparing and forcing, you know, reality to be otherwise, even past, you know, like this re-going again, uh, visiting something past, just to try to make it otherwise, you know, crazy making. But I have to do this with awareness, see like, wow, this is what it's doing. <gasps> it's amazing, again, this is what it's doing. <laughs> you know, and I have to be a good friend to this crazy Pascal, or, or the human nature that shows up like this. And at some point it's like, okay, <gasps> just got tired of it, just don't believe that it's going to work anymore, you know. And whoops, it's released. Yeah. On the other side of this, this is on the part of abandoning what is unskillful, but on the side, let's say a few words, on the side of, um, of cultivating what is, is skillful, there's so many qualities that are being cultivated here, and it's not apparent all the time. Sometimes you're like, why? Why did I come here? What was my idea? But um, uh, the qualities that are developed are so numerous, I couldn't name them all, but it's good to name a few. <coughs> the acceptance, the honesty, maybe first the honesty, what is really happening, becoming honest with uh, self. And sometimes there is this uh, cognitive dissonance there, like I have an image of myself, but then I find like, wow, this, we have to be honest here, this is actually cruelty, you know, like I'm really right now wishing harm to somebody, you know, wishing that they'll pay for what they <laughs> did or say, you know, this is truly what's happening here, you know, and uh, so there's honesty, it's, sometimes it brings bad news, but it's, it's, it's good because we become aware of what's happening in the mind, so honesty, acceptance of what's happening, the acceptance of uh, just that I don't have control over the bell. You know? Just accepting this, okay, it's not me who's going to ring the bell, <laughs> it's him. You know, <laughs> like, I can sit here and ring the bell, I can scream in my mind as loud as I want, you know. He's apparently not receiving the message. <laughs> so at some point, acceptance kicks in. Okay, it'll be painful for another few minutes and I don't even know how long you know. and there's an acceptance and I don't know if you can but I can when there is acceptance recognize the 
beneficial nature of it, you know, the skillfulness in it. Oh, wow, there's one arrow that just got removed from the chest, you know, an extra arrow that was unneeded, you know, and suddenly it's just like, oh, okay, it's hard to be here. You know, this impatience, and it's hard to be here. Oops, it's just that much cooler. But some of the qualities that I, uh, classic qualities also are the factors of awakening, the qualities of mind that uh, come, uh, the, the interest in what is happening. This is an amazing quality and you can see it, it's fluctuating right now, it's in and out maybe of your experience, but it gains strength as we practice. I've seen this, I have no doubt from, from seeing it with many students and from seeing it from inside that there's this um, quality of um, curiosity about what's happening. So what is it, you know, when I say, what is it like to be here right now? And the mind slowly gets more and more interested in the nature of, it's not relating to things in terms of pleasant or unpleasant anymore. It's just, so what is it here? What is resistance? What is the nature of resistance? What is the nature of ease? What is the experience of ease? What is that, this, the flavor of it, the texture of ease? What is the texture of um, agitation? It's there anyway. So let, let this be known. So the mind, you see, there's, to me, that's the great revolution in the mind here, the, the tranquil revolution. <laughs> La révolution tranquille. Uh, when the mind gets interested in what's happening, instead of having an opinion that it should be there, or there should be more of it, or it shouldn't be there, just this, the nature of embodiment, uh, of being in a body when it's not satisfying, when it's achy or crooked, or you know, feels off in some way, wow. And I see this, I, this is clearly skillful and beneficial, I feel it inside. So I'm sitting here and the bodies are all like, and, then, and the mind is at rest and the mind is interested, wow, really crooked body, crooked experience of body right now. It doesn't seem aligned or, it's not easeful. How's that? That's, that's an experience to be known. That's when we start to remove the, the obsessive lens of me, I, and what I want, and my preferences, and we put these lens down, and we put on the lenses of the Dharma, phenomena being known. It's an encounter with experience, whatever it is. This experience is like that. That's, that's very skillful. And this is also slowly coming in, that's what we're learning to do or developing here. It might be, uh, we might have, a have access to it and lost it, we might not know this and develop this, or we might be strengthening this. But that's definitely happening. And it's happening, hopefully, through the guidance that you get, you know, when I say here and there, like, so what is it like to be here right now? And so that might be just the moment where you get out of, like, this is not what I want. Uh, oh, true, what is it like to be here now, you know? And we learn another um, attitude, another skillful way to be. And so often with that, we'll following on the tail of that will be enthusiasm. 
that's a beautiful energy, a be very skillful, like you sit or you walk or you eat or you enter conflict with somebody and there's like, wow, okay, we don't understand each other, how? But let's see the richness of this, how will we do this gracefully or not, you know? And there's, the mind is engaged with reality, being be pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. Wow, there's not much happening. It's like this edge of boredom. Wow, what is boredom? Then the mind gets excited around boredom. <laughs> there's some kind of enthusiasm. So this is all, these factors or qualities are all in the same kind of field of uh, curiosity, uh, investigation, uh, and enthusiasm, that's sometimes called uh, joyful interest. So these are some of the qualities that are being developed here. It's good to name them, uh, because you can recognize sometimes when they arise or invite them. That's something we can do. Say, so, wow, a little bit of curiosity here could be helpful, you know, a little interest. Yeah. And then the, another uh, group of qualities are, that are known to be calming qualities is, uh, is the, the tranquil attention, the mm, tranquil alertness, I could call it, often called also concentration. So when this, there's a tranquility of attention mixed with some kind of curiosity or enthusiasm, it's an amazing match, because the mind is calm, can really, can really enter into the experience of hands, maybe, because there's enough quietness there. The mind is not scattered and agitated. There's enough quietness to really enter hands, or enter belly, or enter sound of, uh, you know, snow on windows or something like that. And it can, and you, and you know, so this experience that I sometimes call intimacy, intimacy with one phenomena, intimacy with heaviness of heart, or con contraction of heart, or intimacy with ease of heart or spaciousness of heart, but the kind of entering in and feeling. It's a, it's a mix of uh, this awareness and tranquility. Sometimes I mix, you know, in Buddhist psychology they're very, very defined, but when I talk about them, for me it's more like uh, making a cake, you know, you have eggs and milk and butter and flour and at some point it creates this texture, it's hard to separate them but the attention becomes more uh, and, and uh, sometimes the example that is used is the attention instead of being like a quark on the surface of the water, is like a rock that drops in, or it's as if whatever the object of your awareness is suddenly it's as if it became porous and the attention can go inside and really Another uh, verb that is used is uh, rub it, can really rub the object. You know, there's a feeling of closeness, not just, oh yeah, the breath, where, where is the breath? There's a breath somewhere, you know, there's a be belly somewhere, it seems very distant and inaccessible, and suddenly it's like, whoa, I'm in the belly, or the mindfulness is in the belly, or it's in, inside the, inside the, the resistance, it knows it from the inside, wow, not wanting to feel, 
not wanting to be here feels like this. I know it from the inside. There's a uh, yeah. So the depth of uh, the uh, awareness and uh, some kind of tranquility and non-reactivity, the equanimity that is uh, one of the how would you say that trademark qualities of Buddhism, the the mind that is stable, that doesn't react to um, what is unpleasant, or doesn't get totally hooked in what's pleasant, it can, uh, it has stability, can really meet experience without falling into despair, resistance, denial, uh, clinging to, you know, all the different ways that the mind gets in trouble. So the equa- equanimity. So this is being developed as we sit here. It's not apparent all the time. But at some point it might become one of these colors. There are different colors of experience that are wholesome, beneficial. And you can recognize this. Sometimes even if it's visiting for a few seconds, a kind of a wave of interest, a wave of closeness to what's happening. Even in a wavelength, uh, in a wave-like quality, even if it's short, Intuitively, we can recognize that this is good, this is good. And if it comes just for a small moment, don't make it just that small moment. It's having an impact on the brain, you know, it's creating new neural pathways every time there is something wholesome that arises. So that's uh, kind of a second level of skillfulness, unskillfulness. So learning how to um, cultivate the skillful, recognize it and cultivate it, invite it. And the unskillful learning to recognize it, uh, abandon it, and maybe avoid the future arising of it. You know. I can see in my own practice now um, one thing that I've been realizing lately is like, wow, there's some things that I used to do, some patterns of mine that it's, it's been seen, I think, probably so intuitively that they were not helpful, that they actually have disappeared without even me knowing about it. So, not all the time, but in many cases where in the past, I would have really want something, or somebody to say something, or get something from someone. Now I can see, like, it actually doesn't engage in reality like this. It just knows that it's going to be unhelpful for, for this being to actually want at all costs to get this, and this is re- re- really want from this person. It knows that it's not going to be helpful. And sometimes it just expresses, oh, I would like to get this. Oh, not interested in giving it to me. Okay, moving on, you know. And before it would have been like this clinging and this really belief that if I force things, I'm going to get them. And there's many places where I see now that it just doesn't do it. And there's places where it still really does it. <laughs> you know, the, the understanding has not reached some areas of my life, you know. But some it has, and it's, it's the release that is talked about, in the, that's the freedom that is gained. You know? 
that this pattern doesn't, unskillful pattern doesn't, doesn't click in anymore. And you can see that in your own practice. And so I'll talk just a few minutes about the last, uh, another last level of skillful and unskillful. And that's, I think these might be particular, very particular to Buddhist um, practice. And so in the finding quietness and in the finding an attention that uh, is able to really touch experience, phenomena, whatever it is, physical or mental, emotional, is able to uh, come close without fear, you know, opinions or anything, but in a raw, um, naked awareness. That's an expression that is used sometimes. A naked awareness that can really come close to experience. What can uh, uh, um, be revealed is the, uh, what I started to mention a little bit earlier today was the impermanence. The fact that things don't last. Things go, things being anything really, you know. Today I liked, I, I think I brought it because of just the, the little uh, individual little hit of the hard snow or whatever the name of that thing falling was on the window. You know, there was this tingling thing. And every one of these arising or these uh, phenomena lasted only a moment gone, a moment gone, several of them, but with a calm mind suddenly you, one can feel maybe the, or experience the um, impermanent nature of just that, you know, and then uh, the Im impermanent nature of everything else, you know. And this is a skillful way to use the mind, is to uh, bring, calm the mind enough and sustain the tension enough on anything to start to see the fluctuation in that thing. Yeah. And so if you become uh, uh, attentive over a few days, you'll see that even if you came here with some particular trouble that is really obsessing that might have happened to one or two of us here, there's a theme that is there, you know, uh, or wanting, like, I'm always in this <coughs> wanting to feel otherwise or be somebody else, or however it uh, manifests, that even that is impermanent, that it's, it's gone some of the time completely. Even somebody who says, I've been in that state of mind for two years now, you know, or a whole year, or several months, if we get quiet, and attentive, we can sustain the attention. My sense is in any of these cases, it's going to become apparent that it's not so. That trouble arises and passes, sometimes in a moment. Maybe while the bell rings for a second, it just disappears from mind. There's just the ringing of the bell and the slight joy that it's over, <laughs> finally over. You know. Until you realize that you have to go walk, <laughs> you know. But there's moments where these things disappear. Even the heavy things might disappear <coughs> for a moment. This is very empowering to see this, to see this completely leave experience for a second. This is kind of part of the disenchantment. My idea 
that it's been like this for years or for months or for days, suddenly it's shattered. Because I can see that in that very moment, for that second, it actually was inexistent. That, that, that is, if you have a direct, not, not the knowledge, that I'm, not the information that I'm giving now, but the direct experience of this, this is freeing, very freeing. Because when you were there, when you say, I was there, when it was not in the mind, you know, there was a presence, you know that this thing is uh, shaky, ephemeral. It can actually not exist in the mind for a moment. That's very, very, uh, can be very liberating. Um, so, and just to drive it like really much, uh, again, further uh, in this skillful and unskillful, and maybe let me return to uh, Tan Jeff a little bit and what I read in this book that uh, obviously had an impact on me. I really liked reading what I liked. Um, he was saying, so in this notion of skillful and skillful, you learn how to behave in a skillful way, the ethics, so that your sense of self uh, uh, becomes better. It's you have a sense of a good self, you know, this is a good self self that can be generous, protective instead of harmful, you know. And so that's a skillful way to, 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 to work. But then much further on the path, at some point, you start to question the owning and the identification to things. Is that really skillful? Is that really skillful to think that this pattern is me? Or we might find that at some point the notion of skillfulness becomes that, oh, I think it would be skillful and beneficial to not own this. Recognize that it's there, but not make it me or mine. You know, oh, there is impatience. It's not I'm impatient, but there is impatient. And this here for me ties the thing with what I was saying this morning about nature human nature, natural, uh, uh, how did I say that, park, national parks, you know. Oh, there's the national park of impatience. So a skillful way to encounter reality is to abandon uh, the notion of mine or I, but just that it's there, it needs to be taken care of. Same with the, the beautiful uh, qualities of mind. You know, oh, there is calm. Not, I'm calm, <coughs> I'm finally calm, I got it, you know. Or, oh, there's a, there is a the presence of benevolence or of care in the, in the mind-heart. If we get more, much more subtle in practice, we can say, like, oh, this doesn't need to be owned. I'm so benevolent. I'm such a kind person, you know. There's no need for that. There's just like, wow, kindness, really helpful on the path good for me, good for others, kindness, not owned, just recognize. Yeah. And in the same way with everything in the, in the Buddhist practice, that we'll start to see that there's no need, or in the subtle way to be skillful is to re release any owning identification. Oh, you know, uh, pain in the lower back, no need to be owned, it's there, it's known. Uh, 
also because of its impermanent nature and its conditioned nature, everything arising when the conditions are right, no need to own anything, but to care about and to, to, to release if it's not helpful and cultivate if it's helpful, but no need to own anything. And so in practice you can make it, um, bring this, just, um, just in the way that you um, notice experience or l- note experience or label experience, you know, that I'm hearing, but hearing is happening. You can play with that if you want. As you sit here, hearing is happening. Discomfort is being known. Ease is being known. Despair is being known. Joy is being known. Breathing is being known. And see if it, what it does to you, if it works. It might not be the skillful time to bring this in, you know. But it might. You'll have to recognize this for yourself. I wonder if there are any questions about... Things that was were said. There's any comment? Comment. I think you just partially answered my question that I had before. But when you were talking about joyful interest and uh, curiosity, and when you asked this question, how does it feel to be here? I find my mind tends to start a conversation. You know, like it's not calming. It's more like about it's cold, it's this and this, and uh-huh. it's, it's, and maybe it's uh, what you just said, it's about just identifying without being, I feel this, but I'm struggling with, you know, like experience it and not like naming what's yeah, happening, yeah, and yeah. I find it's difficult with that kind of question. Okay, so, so, so maybe just one way to go about it is to, to drop the question, not use it, because it doesn't, it might not be skillful for you, and the skillfulness you know, might change, and that's what I, s- I maybe meant partly when I was saying the gift of independence is that in your own practice you can see this question actually leads to papancha, proliferation of mind, overthinking, you know. So maybe I'll drop the question and maybe go towards what feels like it works for you. There might be a more silent way where there's no question and there's just a direct encounter with uh, what's there that might work better. So don't feel like you have to use it if, it if it's not leading in the right direction. Yeah. So, and there might be something about identification that's like the, the, the way you were going about this, but I would say just, you know, if it doesn't work, don't use it. Is there something that works better for you that... Uh, yeah, this question, I think it's, it's I've always find this uh, throughout my practice that it's just starts in mm-hmm. another internal time. Yeah. Okay. Now the, the the questions that are investigative are meant to, and it might work or not work, but they're meant to bring more silence to get closer to experience. Another way that sometimes we use a little bit the thinking mind is that we'll label something. 
say like, so I'm sitting here and I'll say, breathing. So it, it's not to start thinking, but it would be just to help me frame my attention. Oh, that's what's happening. Or stepping as I walk, stepping. And it would be just uh, and, uh, using the thinking mind to help me direct, to help direct towards uh, experience. So, uh, if it leads to more thinking, that's not what it's aim at. The, the aiming at is more at silence, as a direct experience. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as you sit here, if your attention is uh, in open awareness, we call it an attention that is not anchored in one place, but just let me know what is arising as it comes forward at the forefront of experience. So I'll be sitting here and hearing the sound of the room, the tone of the room, and feeling a breath, feeling my hand. So I might do this very silently, but I might also just take the little note of um, hearing, breathing, sensing from my hand. And so one short, very tiny, um, almost transparent little note to help me feel for a moment. But it, you don't have to use that tool. It can be a, just a direct experience. And you know when you're in it or not. You know. Okay, so these few words about practice, I hope they're helpful in some way. And uh, so let's just take a moment in silence before we go to the meal, just uh, a few seconds here. So, remembering that uh, the attention to the senses uh, can be a way to ground attention, a way to find refuge from uh, discursive thinking and the fantasies and all kinds of consideration, just plugging in one of the sense can help ground can help also reveal the tendencies of mind just by wanting to put attention on the breath or hearing. I'll see how the calm get, uh, or the connection with that object gets uh, disrupted. 
by the mind. So it reveals tendencies. But also uh, being attentive to the senses uh, can help um, break uh, the idea of solidity and permanence. Seeing how one moment of hearing is gone, replaced by another one. One of my teachers talks about attention to the body as a, having as a goal a mass to dissolve. So being attentive to the body, we see that it's not one body, always the same one since the beginning of the retreat, but just a succession of uh, moments of sensations and feelings of uh, ease or dis-ease, heat radiating and pulsating. So breaking down in a way the idea of a one me that is ongoing by uh, calm attention, the dynamic nature of body is revealed. And in all these ways, uh, freedom can be gained. So may we all this weekend uh, have the chance to uh, discover the beneficial ways to be, cultivate them and find uh, sustainable freedom. Thank you for your attention. Bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.